Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you've been following Therapy Insiders, you know we like to cover a wide variety of topics. This year has been a lot of business, a lot of marketing. We throw in some other topics as well. But what we really haven't touched on is technology in regards to the clinic and diagnostic technology and mostly because physical therapists don't do that a ton and it's not that interesting but we decided we should bring some of that in so we brought in dr drew ball to talk about musculoskeletal ultrasound all right now if you got your pitchforks out because you heard ultrasound calm down calm it down because I had a very similar reaction and we actually talked about this as soon as ultrasound was said every single one of my defense barriers went up because to me it's useless but this is a this is a different beast than a treatment ultrasound give it a listen let me know what you think do you agree with everything are you interested in it it sounds like it's an interesting technology that has positive implications for diagnosis. It's not new, but it's new to us. Have a listen. Let us know what you think. Hey, do you treat Medicare patients? If you do, you're definitely going to want to check out a free webinar hosted by Dr. Heidi Janenga from WebPT on October 26, 2016. Hang out to the middle of this episode for more details on why this is an important webinar for anyone that treats Medicare patients in PT, OT, or SLP. And now, on to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here with Dr. Joe Palmer, Dr. Urson Really He also. Guys, how goes it? Doing well, Gene. Doing well. Again, our um our, our trifecta episode of all three of us together when one isn't in a different state or sick with some kind of bug or something happening with pooping dogs. It, it's good to have everybody together. Things happen, Gene. They sure do. You're trying to tell me life life happens or shit happens, Joe? Because theoretically you could say both for that intro. You, you brought up the pooping dogs. I did. I did. I did bring up the pooping dogs. Yeah, it seems like every time I go out of town, whether it's just me or whether it's actually me and my entire family, my dogs just have diarrhea. So <laughs> they miss me. You know, that's how it is. That, that's how they show love by uh, yeah. having uncontrollable <laughs> diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Well, this is going to rate as one of our top openings ever, um, throwing out there. <laughs> but guys, aside from, from life and, and pooping, we are getting into September. We've got a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff happening in September. Ben and I are presenting or speaking at Ascend Conference, WebPT's business conference. We have PPS around the corner in October. And then, believe it or not, you know we're, we're staring at 2017. So we're, we're kind of at that turning point point of of the year we're, we're heading into the stretch run of 2016 and i think we've 
had we've had some some really awesome guests on thus far and um you know look looking back do you feel like do you feel like there's certain topics that we really haven't covered a lot i know 2016 has been really business centric um but do you feel like something has been left out Mm, let's see maybe modalities diagnostics research we don't talk about ultrasound much well except for except for mike reinold who uh, who has his golden ultrasound and i watched him use it i was at his practice i watched him use it that and i got lasered (laughs) i'm sorry when you say laser to me you need to do the air quotation marks and sound like dr evil freaking laser beams it was a shark with laser beams actually attached to it it wasn't a cold laser though it was a warm laser class four really that means i think that means it actually has contraindications apparently cold you know because you could use it wrong when my patients would say so you think cold laser does anything i'm like if it can't hurt you like if it doesn't have contraindications does it have indications As soon as you said hot laser, the first thing I thought about was Star Wars and the Death Star. Why is that? I don't is know. It hot? Yeah, because I just imagined a red laser coming out of a ball. That's when you said hot laser. I don't know. That just popped into my head. It's green. Isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's green. We're going to have to get a fact checked on that. So uh, if anybody knows, <laughs> please tweet at us. Is the Star Wars laser green or red? Yeah, come um, on, Rich. I know you know this. But, but yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, haven't, we haven't talked a ton about kind of the, the science of certain certain diagnostic tests because it's it's not necessarily always in our, in our field. But it, it might be a good time to, to delve into that. Yeah, especially because I finally got the results of the MRI we talked about last week. And? So, you know, I've been talking about this whole thing about me feeling like a patient and having negative x-rays. So that's why I asked for the MRI, even though the the ortho didn't really, he just conceded. He didn't really agree or disagree, but he wasn't going to order one had I not asked for one. So I'm going through the the findings that's negative for fracture, negative for displacement, negative for tendinopathy, negative for swelling, negative for um, any kind of ligament damage. So pretty much negative for everything that you already knew was going to be negative. It was negative, 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 negative. And, you know, I skipped to the next page. I was like, man, everything is negative. Okay, it's time to really start the isometrics and just like graded exposure and loading and whatever that I I have been doing. But in the back of my mind, I thought there might be a cyst because it just popped up in December and then it went away and then it popped up to the same place and now it just hasn't gone away. And then just as about to close the page, I did see that the last positive finding was that there is like a whatever 30 millimeter by 27 millimeter cyst arising from the joint capsule of one of my carpals are you you sure it wasn't positive for wasitis yes it is and it's like sitting right between my radial artery and my radial nerve and i just thought you know for someone who believes in pain science why do i have to have the cyst that actually perfectly sensitizes things (laughs) it really pissed me off you just think it does Right. Person, it's going to be okay. There, there's no threat. It's going to be okay. Oh, man. I'm so pissed. I'm You'll pissed. Be all right. I didn't, I'd be pissed if it was negative and I'm pissed that it's positive. But I don't know if I have to, to smash this thing with a Bible or not, you know? Do you think like a... If you do videotape it. 
Yes, please. I will. Yeah, I will. Can I do a grade five Bible smash? That's what my old patients used to say. Oh, ganglion cyst in your wrist. You smash it with the Bible. Just exorcise that uh, that evil demon cyst. Yeah, well, maybe our guest would have been able to find this. Maybe he would. Maybe he would. So our guest is Dr. Drew Ball. And um, so, Drew, obviously, we're, we're kind of leading up to the diagnostic imaging. So thanks for coming on the show, man. What, how is diagnostic testing imaging, or not imaging, diagnostic testing or procedures? First of all, what are they? What are you doing? And um, how, how does that play into physical therapy, man? Well, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in all diagnostic procedures. I'm just getting uh, started. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the idea of uh, EMGs and nerve conduction velocity tests that's been around for quite for quite some time. Uh, what I am uh, becoming an emerging uh, leader in. Uh, I refrain to use the word uh, expert because there's just so much information. Is is musculoskeletal ultrasound um, for uh, since uh, the 1970s? Uh, clinicians have been utilizing ultrasound for diagnostic purposes to look at joints, to look at at muscles, to look at 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 tendons, uh, but they really haven't gotten much traction within physical therapy until quite quite recently. Uh, and I think that's because they're just the the devices and the education is just so uh, expensive. Um, so uh, I heard heard you guys talking a little bit about the the ganglion cyst. That's certainly something that is 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 quite visible on. Uh, on ultrasound, uh, it's certainly not something that you're that you're looking for specifically. We don't go on pathology hunts, but it's absolutely something that would that would pop up during a routine exam. It has like lots of little spikes and an evil face, doesn't it? I'm sorry. I said it has lots of little spikes and an evil looking face. Just yours, Urson. The yeah. the, um, the ganglion cysts. Yeah. Oh yeah, they yeah. look pretty nasty. The evil ones, not 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 the good ones, just the evil ones. Yeah, yeah. So how did you how did you get into this? Why why even bother with with so many things in the world of physical therapy? Why go this route? Um, good question. Um, there's a couple couple of reasons. Um, I have always been an early adopter for for better or or worse, and that has uh, had a negative impact on my on my wallet from time to time. Um, it it has had an amazing impact in terms of uh, the opportunities and people that I've that I've had the the fortune of meeting throughout the course of my now more than two decade career but what really excites me about about physical therapy is that new technologies uh, new procedures come out really all the time and uh, I think that what makes me personally uh, a good, PT. What really motivates me uh, to get up each morning is is being ahead of the curve. And uh, it, when I was in pediatrics, I was one of the first to use the partial weight bearing treadmill training uh, systems years before anybody really thought that that was a, a, a good idea. Uh, when the DPT uh, came out, I believe I was one of the first 1,500 transitional 
DPTs across the the country. Um, when did was, you get it? I'm sorry. When did you get it? Uh, in I'd have to look back. I think it was 2000. Ooh, 1999. Ooh, we're old. Yeah. Right, enough yes, with the pissing contest. Really Let's keep going. Class. I mean, there was, there were not many, there were not many of us, um, you know, back then. And there was certainly, uh, you know, I go back to uh, when I graduated in 94, uh, 95 uh, from one of the freshman admit programs. Um, you know, within the first round of the entry level master's degrees, I mean, I've had, I've just had a career of people telling me that being on the crest of the wave wasn't going to matter. Um, and I think that what has made me who I am really more than anything else, uh, is not, you know, teaching dry needling from myopane seminars for the guy who brought it to the United States, um, or, or, or really getting involved with the technology of next gen, uh, Institute, which I, I really think, uh, has some second to none when it comes to, um, uh, offering education uh, at the residency and fellowship level for folks that that are in remote uh, areas. Um, but I think what really has made me me is the ability to see what's coming over the horizon just a few years before most most PTs. Again, be it spinal manipulation or dry needling. And now I think that the next thing that is going to really change practice is musculoskeletal ultrasound to the point where one of my mentors has been quoted as saying uh, there will come a time when uh, calling yourself a musculoskeletal practitioner and not including musculoskeletal ultrasound in your practice will be considered malpractice. Um, now, I don't think that's tomorrow, uh, but I, I do think that that is, is coming down the, the pike as... Uh, as systems get less and less expensive, and as training becomes more more affor affordable, and as residents and even physical therapy students are at least being exposed to these these images in PT school and in residencies and fellowship programs, which, by the way, look nothing like anything any other image that you're going to to encounter. So let's let's step let's step back first of all. So you, you've obviously some pretty big claims, um, you know, to, to omit a diagnostic test and call malpractice. That's, that, that sounds pretty. I'm not saying that I'm quoting that. Right. Right. But re regardless, the thought is out there. Yeah. Um, so how, how is this different than any other diagnostic test? Cause it is diagnostic, right? Well, I, I prefer to call again, diagnostic ultrasound isn't really my term. I would prefer to think of, uh, of uh, musculoskeletal ultrasound as just another special test, but an incredibly, uh, an incredibly uh, sensitive and specific one. It, it has diagnostic accuracy that rivals uh, uh, just talking about partial thickness and full thickness uh, rotator cuff tears. There was a uh, an interesting meta analysis that came out in the uh, British uh, Medical Journal. Uh, in uh, 2015 that, that looked at the diagnostic accuracy of musculoskeletal ultrasound and partial thickness and full thickness uh, tears, and, it, and uh, it, it rivaled or surpassed 
uh, MRI. And when you consider a technology that physical therapists have access to and then compare that to uh, the expense of MRI and then look at the sensitivity and specificity of some of the other special tests uh, that we have that at, at best are in the uh, in the seventies when we're talking about things like this. Um, I think that's, it's really compelling, uh, to, to have something that really enhances clinical reasoning. And for, for that reason, uh, I think that's where that statement came from is that we really want to have the best, uh, technology that we have to inform clinical reasoning. And what we do with that information is a whole different discussion because we're going to find things that, that, that don't matter. I mean, 40% of major league uh, baseball pitchers uh, in, a, in a fairly recent study, and the author escapes me off the top of my head, uh, were found to have partial uh, or in some cases even full thickness, full thickness tears that, um, that were completely asymptomatic. So just because you find something doesn't necessarily mean that it, that it changes or should change the way that you the way that you treat the patient, but it should certainly inform some things. I mean, are you going to treat that patient for eight visits or six visits before you decide to pull the plug? Um, those kinds of things. Um, I, I will say that uh, uh, there was this, uh, another study uh, done that was published in the uh, Journal of Diagnostic Medical Sonography uh, that showed that musculoskeletal imaging uh, and we're talking a $200, I mean, tops, $200 test uh, that takes mm, eight to 10 minutes to do, literally changing diagnostics in more than half of the cases in the treatment plan in more than 60% of cases and raising a confidence from, from, uh, from three and a half out of five to over four out of five uh, just from doing a 10-minute test. So... Let, explain the technology. I, I would. We okay. keep saying the the name of it and ultrasound, and maybe, obviously, you know, as soon as you say ultrasound, my my defense mechanism goes up, and I think ultrasound machines and just yeah. treatment ultrasound, and you know, I start imagining um, office space and the copy machine and baseball bats and slow motion and right. and all that good stuff. Yeah, um, it, I, I've had a hard time telling uh, my my contemporaries that I was going to get certified in ultrasound because the same thing comes to mind. I mean, this this beast this beast of antiquated uh, equipment that the uh, you know the best thing that you can really do with it in most interest in instances is to you know throw it in a trash heap. And if you want if you want to set it a little bit deeper, then you bury it a little bit deeper in the trash heap. Um, but musculoskeletal ultrasound sound is something completely different. So what we're trying to do is to create an image. The most common uh, image is uh, what's called a B-mode uh, ultrasound image, and it's, it's grayscale. So we're going to see different tones from the whitest of whites to the blackest of blacks, but it's, it's technically not black and white. Uh, and what we're trying to do is to literally see images. Now it's blown up and it's like looking at uh, an image through a keyhole magnified about 500 times from what you would be thinking of uh, in your in your mind if the only thing that you've been looking at is is radiographic images. We're talking about blowing up 
uh, on a con- on a computer screen uh, a radiographic image uh, and and looking in high resolution at an area on that image that would roughly be a centimeter by a centimeter. Uh, so what we're what we do with the sound waves is we either use A mode or B mode or elastography. Uh, and I'll go through those one by one. So A mode is kind of like AM radio. And if something gets in its way, uh, it really, really distorts the, the image. But in the 1940s, that was state of the art. And what they were looking at in surgical spe- in, um, in surgical dissections uh, were intestinal malignancies and breast malignancies. And in the 1940s, a handheld uh, B mode or brightness mode ultrasound uh, came on the on the market. Now these things were monstrosities. They filled a room. They were like the old um, uh, 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 vacuum tube computers at that time. Uh, and it was not until roughly the uh, the nineteen sixties that what we started to see was a uh, the engineering technology that would fit these ultrasound units into like the size of a small a small computer and give them a lot more uh, utility. So uh, there was a dude, uh, I shouldn't call him a dude, a physician uh, by the name of George Ludwig at the Naval Medical Research Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, who uh, who began. Uh, doing really some of the first uh, studies on human on human patients, um, and that's really where it where it took off from. So we're not doing something therapeutic. Uh, what we're really trying to do is to visualize uh, tendons. Uh, so we're looking at tendinopathies. We're looking at is that uh, tendon torn away from the bone. Uh, we can uh, well visualize nerves. So looking at uh, the difference between a trigger point referral pattern uh, from the infraspinatus that's going into the thumb and first finger versus uh, could is this a uh, radiculopathy versus is this truly carpal tunnel syndrome is all is all at our fingertips now. I mean, there are very clear uh, ultrasound signs and signals uh, for those kinds of things. Um, one of the more misdiagnosed things that I see uh, in the in the clinic is folks that are referred for uh, either sh- shoulder impingement or uh, plantar fasciitis, and uh, it's 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 either there or it's not. You put an ultrasound on somebody and you can literally see the tissue uh, become impinged uh, or not. Uh, you can literally see a, hyper- a hypertrophied uh, plantar fascia or, or not. So you're not, you're not uh, wasting time having the patient uh, do lots of iontophoresis, if you believe in that kind of thing. Uh, or intrinsic stretches that that don't matter. I mean, you can get right to well, it's probably going to be a gastroc trigger point referral pattern, and stick the needle where that where that needs to be. If you're fortunate enough to know anything about trigger point dry needling, um, so some would argue 
uh, well, you don't really need that. Just start with the trigger point dry needling, and if that doesn't work, then you can go. Uh, you can go to to doing some of your other stuff. But I would argue that the best information leads to the best clinical reasoning, and the best clinical reasoning results in the most efficient and most effective care. Uh, and I can look at my photo outcomes uh, and the photo outcomes of some of the other folks that are uh, that are doing some of the, these more advanced practice techniques, and uh, we're validated in 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 superior outcomes and fewer visits. And I think that's so, going to be the name of the game. So your outcomes have improved since you started using this, and, and do you use it from visits? Yeah, my outcomes have improved dramatically since adding dry needling to my practice. My outcomes have uh, have been achieved in fewer visits since adding musculoskeletal ultrasound. Do you do so? Say a patient comes in, mm-hmm. they're referred for shoulder impingement. Okay, a patient came in referred for shoulder impingement. Right. From day one, do you whip out the, mach- the ultrasound machine yes. and use this as part of your eval now? I do. Every time? Yep. I do. Every time. It's like the rich severin of ultrasounds now, Gene. Well, I mean, I think that what happens is, is you know, I could spend all my time doing the, the, uh, the you know, I'm still going to do the same clinical evaluation. Uh, but when it comes to... Uh, you, you know, everybody gets to a point if you have uh, an impingement syndrome where now you have to start considering, all right, uh, even if everything is positive uh, on all my special tests, you know, the best I'm going to be able to say is that there's a 72% chance, the 72% specificity here. Well, what, what, is, what's, what could be a false positive? Well, um, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, certainly a first rib problem or a second rib problem is going to, to look a whole lot like uh, impingement. And I could spend 15 minutes um, trying to tease that out. Uh, and I do a little bit. Uh, or I can just pull out the ultrasound and in less time, uh, I can actually visualize whether or not it's impingement or subacromial pain syndrome of another origin. And I would say that, mo- that more times than not, it is not actually impingement. So how does this fit in, though, now that you're in NextGen's fellowship with our strong pain science component? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're just saying things that I would have looked at a long time ago, but I've just moved away from. So if I, even if I ever adopted this because I don't want to be, what, what did you say, non-compliant or, um, I forget what, what your quote was Mal about. Malpractice person. Yeah, I don't want to be coming malpractice in five years. Um, even if I adopted this, I would still feel like my outcomes are good enough that I would only need to, to pull it out if someone was not responding after you know, three visits or so. And before we hear Drew's answer to Urson's comments, let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor, WebPT. If you treat Medicare patients, you will want to check out nine most common Medicare misconceptions for PTs, OTs, and SLPs free webinar hosted by Dr. Heidi Jananga and Tom Ambry. The webinar will be presented on October 26th at 9 a.m. Pacific. Dr. Jananga and Tom will cover nine Medicare rules rehab therapists frequently violate, explain in plain English, which is always nice, 
what the rules really are and provide strategies for ensuring full Medicare compliance going forward. I promise you do not want to mess with compliance. Check out Dr. Jananga and Tom Ambry, October 26, 2016 at 9 a.m. Pacific. Head over to webpt.com forward slash blog and register for your free webinar on nine most common Medicare misconceptions for PTs, OTs, and SLPs on Wednesday, October 26th at 9 a.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss it. And now back to Therapy Insiders Podcast with Dr. Drew Ball talking about musculoskeletal ultrasound. And that may be where it evolves. I mean, I, I'm, I, I can't tell you, all I can tell you is that this is technology that is going to creep into physical therapy practice and it's not going away. Uh, now, how uh, it ends up being incorporated into the majority of, of PT practice, I can't tell you. Uh, I can tell you that I... Uh, have introduced this technology not only to our uh, physical therapist uh, residents, but I am routinely uh, sharing information with the uh, physiatry residents in our in our system, and they're being trained on on musculoskeletal ultrasound routinely. Now, the folks that uh, that 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 train us will tell us you're better off doing a full evaluation because it doesn't take that much longer and the reimbursement is dramatically different than if you do a partial uh, evaluation. Um, and and for a physician, uh, if you're spending an average, I think the last estimate that I saw is that most is that nationally physicians spend something like 12 minutes with their with their uh, with their patients the seconds count and what i'm hearing from the physician residents is that they're not doing complete evaluations by and large that what they're doing is forming their uh, hypothesis their clinical hypothesis or diagnostic hypothesis and then they're doing a partial uh, exam as just a, a routine part of their examinations no different than pulling out a stethoscope. Um, physical therapists, even in uh, high-volume clinics, we still have the benefit of, of time. I think the shortest evaluation I've, 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 uh, I've heard of, at least in my region in, in recent uh, months, has been a half hour. Uh, most clinics give their therapists at least 45 minutes to an hour to do an initial evaluation. So if I take five to eight, to, to, to eight minutes to do a partial evaluation, I might, because the hardest part is the setup. Um, and if you've got that up and out and running, uh, you know, at the first thing in the, in the morning, then that doesn't take that much time. Um, but if I'm going to spend five minutes or eight minutes, I might as well spend another, you know, 10 or 12 and do a complete, uh, evaluation because invariably things come up and you see things that you wouldn't otherwise see. But, but I got to say, Urson kind of brings up uh, a good point is just because you see something, do you have to do anything about it? And I'm constantly talking to residents about the idea of, you know, it's a great technology, um, but make sure that you don't vomit. And what I mean by that is create a victim of medical imaging technology and treatment. So it doesn't change your clinical reasoning. You may find a partial tear, but does that mean you need to rush the patient immediately uh, to a surgeon? No. 
uh, you know, you're still going to use your best judgment as to whether or not you can help uh, this this individual. Uh, I, I'll give you a quick example uh, that I had a patient uh, not too long ago came from a very prominent uh, surgeon and uh, just at at about 13 weeks or so status post rotator cuff uh, repair just wasn't getting better kind of hit a plateau so we put the ultrasound on him at that point and it turned out that uh, while the humeral side of the supraspinatus had been repaired that it appeared that one of two things was happening either a significant bursitis or uh, there was an emerging tear on the bursal side uh, so uh, that's not somebody that I'm going to tell to you know metaphorically rub dirt on it and just gut it out and 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 uh, you know, let's keep adding weight and adding weight and adding weight, which I probably wouldn't have done on the basis of clinical findings either. But what it did do is it sped up my process of calling the physician and saying, look, um, I think I see a a significant bursitis here. Uh, Maybe you want to manage this medically a little bit differently. Uh, And, uh, you know, before you order that MRI, just give me a couple of weeks and, uh, and let's see let's see what I can do here and I'll take a follow-up uh, uh, musculoskeletal ultrasound. Well, the PS to that story is uh, he, in, he injected the shoulder. Um, he gave the guy some anti he changed his anti-inflammatory uh, regimen uh, and I did a follow-up ultrasound. The guy now has full active range and we're pro- progressing in his resistive program, but it gives me the ability to uh, grade his rehabilitation in a much more specific and confident way than simply going by clinical signs and symptoms. Yeah, you know, you make a good point there, Andrew, because I, I think that doctors respond to that kind of uh, imaging better, right? Doctors they they deal in imaging all all the time, all day long. They deal in imaging. So when you can come to them and and say, hey. This is what I'm seeing, and and this is this is the image that I that I have. Um, I I think they they respect that a little bit a little bit more than hey this is this is my my gut feeling on on why why your guy's not progressing. Usually, yes, uh, I have had the experience of uh, of some uh, younger physicians who believe that this technology should be solely in the hands of of physicians. And I, I mean, I've heard some weird things ranging from, uh, well, PT shouldn't be doing that. Only physicians, uh, should, uh, and then really within that same conversation, this individual kind of came around to the idea of, well, I guess that's okay. Cause even if you guys found something, you would have to refer to us before you could treat. Now, meanwhile, I'm practicing on North Carolina, in North Carolina, we've had direct access since 1985, I think it is. Uh, and, uh, uh, the one insurance carrier, uh, the one commercial insurance carrier that used to require a physician authorization stopped, uh, requiring that, uh, I believe two years ago, even Medicare, 
uh, under Palmetto, uh, you can begin treatment provided that you get a physician uh, uh, signature on your plan of care within 30 days. Uh, now, that's not the way that my particular organization uh, chooses to, to run things. For Medicare patients, they still want to have that uh, physician script uh, before we do the initial evaluation. But what was interesting to me was that the person that was saying that to me was actually a, a younger uh, and quite good uh, physician. So uh, I think we don't, as a profession, do a terribly wonderful job of not only educating the public uh, about who we are uh, and and what our area of of expertise is within within uh, within healthcare and how they can access us, uh, but this is a, a you know a relatively newly minted uh, physician that I'm that I'm that I'm talking about. But I, I think by and large that's the that's the exception. But there's definitely as much uh, opinion uh, on the PT should not be doing this end of the spectrum as there is uh, physicians who really appreciate. That we're doing this and can and can enhance their their clinical outcomes. So you just got to play the the politics. So at the beginning of the podcast, you asked me uh, about uh, why did I not not so much why did I get into to ultrasound, but I'll answer a slightly different question: is why did I get certified when even physicians don't need to be? It's because I'm a PT. And I, I, you know, when I come up against a a uh, physician uh, or even PT uh, who's asking, well, what gives you the education to do that? Uh, I have to be able to say, well, because I have more education than than you do, or I have more education in musculoskeletal ultrasound, uh, you know, than the the physicians that are being seen as leaders uh, in our in our uh, in our system. I have to be able to hold weight with them, not throw it around, but politically, I need to be on par. That's a, that's an interesting point, and it, it's not necessarily unique. And I, I have conversations with with physicians a bunch and uh, various healthcare providers. But physician, it, it's it's not necessarily that not all of them want it or even political. I think a lot of it is trust because a lot have, like you said, you you know, you brought up a great point. Is they the the physical therapists that they have dealt with might not be of the highest quality, and the stuff that they heard and heard again and then heard again, and obviously they start. To sense of pattern until somebody comes around that is throwing, you know, research at them and science and, you know, that, then they start to kind of at least give you a little bit of leeway and give you that, you know, okay, show me versus when they, for, when you first approach them and they're like, oh God, okay, what, what is this one going to throw at me? So when you, when you speak on a, like Joe said, a, more of a common language, maybe not necessarily, um, diagnostic imaging because, you know, that's again, not necessarily what we want to do. We're not stepping on their toes in that way because like Erson said, we don't really need to do that. We have our own way of treating. We have pain science. We have exercise. We, we have things that are, are shown through research to be highly effective for getting people better in the musculoskeletal world. So when we can speak to physicians and understand the, the, the skill of communicating and, and, you know, talking to them in, in a way that they understand that we're science-based practitioners, not just, you know, throwing out a bunch of stuff, then it, it becomes a whole different conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it even gets more primal than that. They want to know that they're going to be upmanaged. They they don't want to hear that we're going to take this technology and tell the patient, um, 
Yeah, I know that uh, that the physician told you that you had uh, rotator cuff impingement, but I'm not seeing that. You know, and 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 did he talk to you about your AC joint? Because man, that sucker is just—it's you know—it's eight millimeters or nine millimeters across. And, you know, it should be less than seven uh, millimeters uh, across and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And, and really getting patients kind of into a, uh, you know, a, a, a tizzy or, or things like explaining the difference between the pathology hunt and the reason that a physician is going to do a, a musculoskeletal ultrasound versus the reason that a PT is for uh, either grading the uh, progression of of care over the over the course of of therapy or at that initial evaluation uh, if you are a direct access practitioner and you're seeing that patient for the very first visit a physician is on a pathology hunt a a a doctor of physical therapy uh or chiropractor any non-physician uh, uh practitioner really should be endeavoring to find normal anatomy not endeavoring to find Pathology, and that is a subtle difference, but it is an important one uh, because uh, you know I can find weird stuff on just about anybody, but that's not the point. The point is uh, how normal can I make this this uh, this anatomy? I, I I don't want to go into it with a preconceived. Uh, you're not really looking for normal or abnormal. You're looking for relevant, right? You're looking. You're looking well, for I'm a looking picture. For I'm looking for normal. Um, I, I'm, well, I'm looking what is for normal. Um, well, uh, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, my my. Uh, re- <laughs> I, I'll, a quick aside story. Um, there, there are there are normal ranges for what tendons should be and tendons don't hypertrophy on the basis of exercise. And my, one of my current residents at, uh, at Carolina's healthcare system at, uh, Carolina's rehabilitation, um, he is, he's one of the biggest dudes I've ever seen. I mean, he is just completely built and like, just like Urson. Um, uh, huge. And we, we've had, I don't know what it is in our residency, but we attract former bodybuilders and former, uh, MMA fighters. So they're big guys. Definitely like Urson. This guy is, is big and, and, uh, and cut and he's the biggest of the big. And we took a picture, uh, as I was teaching musculoskeletal ultrasound and sent it up the chain, uh, to the, uh, uh, to the vice president of our, of our system with the caption. Yeah, but our tendons are the same size. And, uh, and that's, and that's true. Uh, our, our bicep tendons are roughly the same distance, uh, the same diameter. Uh, my plantar fascia is the same diameter, uh, as, as, as his, uh, my supraspinatus tendon, unless there's, uh, tendinopathy, uh, it, they should, they should all fall within very specific limits. So yeah, I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking for normal. So that's the first thing. And if something falls outside of the realm of normal values, then I'm going to comment on that. And then the next step is, is that relevant? And it may or may not be relevant. Got it. So what are the yeah, most common I, things you're looking at? 
Um, about 70% of musculoskeletal ultrasounds that are done across the country are done on shoulder followed by foot. Um, it, it, it's, it may be informative or not. I'm not sure. Um, to know that, uh, that it was really podiatrists that really gravitated to this, uh, technology, uh, initially because it's, it's, uh, despite the expense of an ultrasound unit, uh, and uh, what is that expense? How much is it? Um, well, it it's it, the 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 quality and ease of use of a unit is directly proportional to cost. So I so the very first unit that I purchased was a unit from uh, China uh, that was uh, terrible. And it cost me about twenty five hundred dollars once I got the uh, the system and the probes that I needed. But the resolution was kind of like an old uh, low resolution uh, uh, computer, like Apple two E. If I'm not dating <laughs> myself there, yeah, oh, it was, I had an Apple II. It was pretty awful. Um, so I quickly, uh, but it's good to learn on. Um, because again, remember that, that as little as five years ago, that was state of the art. Um, the technology here is just, it's, it is, it is progressing rapidly and the, the cost is, is, is coming down. So I recently purchased a new machine, which on a scale of one to 10, uh, in kind of grading resolution, this is a, a three, I guess, um, which sounds like it's pretty awful, but it is light years ahead of the one that I uh, that I recently that I recently uh, sold, and that one cost me about five thousand for the machine and about two grand for each of the two probes that I have, and I'm about to purchase a either a third probe or sell the probe uh, or sell the entire unit and get a whole new. Uh, system and probably at this point, I should probably uh, plug uh, Angel Akiro at uh, uh, Universal Diagnostic Solutions at ultrasoundportables.com. And uh, I called a lot of, of reps, um, and he was really the only guy who was willing to sit with me and see that uh, physical therapy was really going to be the next wave of purchases. Uh, for him, and he really worked uh, with me to get me the unit that I needed uh, to learn on. Uh, at the, uh, you know, he didn't try to price gouge me or anything like that. Um, uh, but he wanted for me to get a good enough unit that I would begin uh, learning and be able to use it in the in the uh, in the uh, in the clinic. But I, I with the full knowledge that within about a year I was going to come back to him and say, Hey, can I get a better probe or Hey, can I, can I, uh, trade this in? And, uh, he has been gracious enough to any of your listeners. If they mention this uh, podcast, he has several, uh, specials that he's willing, uh, uh, to apply. I don't know exactly what they are. Um, he, he mentioned something about free shipping on a device or it could be used for training, but he's got a couple of different, uh, uh, options, but uh, a low end machine, uh, one that would get you started, uh, is something like a uh, a Chison Echo One, which is the unit uh, that I have 
uh, right now, which is about five thousand dollars for the machine and about two grand for each probe. Need- All right, Andrew. Andrew, yeah. we've we've done a good job keeping this clinical for for a while. Okay. How do you get reimbursed for it? Um. Well. There are a couple of models that I have seen. Um, there actually are CPT codes. Uh, there are a few. Um, there's a few options. Um, so there's a CPT code seven six eight eight one, which is a a full evaluation, and that requires uh, uh, all images be taken of the entire joint and each joint normally has somewhere around eight to ten images uh that you that you take you have to be able to permanently record the images uh you have to write a report and you have to take measurements um so reimbursement for that depending on the carrier is somewhere around 120 to 160 dollars in addition to the evaluation or whatever treatment uh that you're that you're doing. But like I said, um, most clinicians aren't doing a full evaluation. Most are doing a partial, which will get you about $35 uh, and that's CPT, CPT code uh, 76882. Uh, and then the other uh, emerging uh, area is using it for procedural uh, guidance. Now, physicians will use ultrasound as a stand-in for fluoroscopy, and they can use that for biopsies or aspiration or, or localization of a placement of a, uh, of a device. Um, I have seen some courses uh, looking at using ultrasound along with uh, trigger point dry needling. Um, I haven't personally found that to be uh, necessary. That said, uh, there are, since uh, Jan Damerol brought dry needling education to the United States, there's something like 20 um, kind of knockoff uh, trigger point providers and a few that are teaching, uh, uh, you know, their own true intellectual property being um, uh, 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 kind of other forms of dry needling that's not trigger point dry needling. Um, but, uh, so what comes with that is a lot of really interesting, uh, techniques and, uh, we teach things at my pain seminars, uh, in a way that, uh, theoretically we believe is the safest way. Uh, however, uh, we don't have yet any, uh, let's say ultrasound evidence that needling uh, with a patient in one position is safer than another because you clear structures that you don't want in the needle zone uh, out of the needle zone. Um, but certainly those are all you know kinds of, of, of research agendas that I'm certainly uh, working on with some some really interesting, uh, players, but to 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 get back to your question of billing and coding, um, I think that more often than not, what I see happening is that it gets bundled within uh, some kind of other cash based program. So uh, something like a pitching analysis program, or a golf swing analysis program, or a running analysis program, and uh, you know part of that performance based. Uh, type of evaluation will include a musculoskeletal uh, ultrasound of whatever joint is at play. 
So otherwise, you could, I noticed you mentioned earlier about doing a half of Val or full of Val. That's not something you can bill and get reimbursed for in addition to your PT eval. The parcel evaluation? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. So it's like also, yeah. I mean, I guess it's like for eight minutes, it's like roughly the same price you get reimbursed for doing eight minutes of manual therapy too, right? Yeah. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. You must get a lot for manual therapy. We don't get $36 for manual therapy. You don't? Really? That's funny. We we used to, we get to work with their ex and they used to drive me nuts, but yeah. I, I don't know what it currently yeah, that's, is that's, now. That's, because... Yeah, you get more for therapeutic exercise and therapeutic activity. Manual therapy, we, we, we struggle with that. It's been like that for a while now, I feel like. Well, it's, it's going to be different in each state, but right. what I'm saying is that... Uh, yeah, thirty six dollars. That's that's uh, that's a good add on. You know, it's it is it is it's it's more than a unit of, of exercise. It's yeah. a good add on, but it's not a great add on when the, when the, now, was, the entire bill is forty dollars. <laughs> now, I should I should before we get too deep into this, I should add the fo- the following caveat: is that a policy of uh, of uh, CHS where I work, which is that uh, if it's your equipment, you can't bill off of your equipment. So I haven't billed a single patient uh, f- uh, for musculoskeletal ultrasound uh, to date. Um, we are looking at purchasing a unit so that I'm able to, to do that. But to date, I personally haven't billed anybody, but everybody else in the class that I graduated uh, with my uh, CERT MSKUS, uh, with one exception because he's a professor, um, has. So wait, you mean that if, if the clinic doesn't own it, you can't bill it? That's correct. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't seem like uh, them buying you a $5,000 unit would pay off anytime soon. <laughs> Is that what they're thinking? Um, they are. I don't know what they're thinking. I think uh, we have, uh, I, I could speculate, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's there's one of me and there are, I think, about 15 physiatry residents, um, all of whom without certification uh, can begin using and billing for musculoskeletal ultrasound out of the box. So from an organizational uh, perspective, I think that uh, were I an administrator just kind of looking at, at, at dollars, am I going to buy you know, a single $10,000 unit for a single PT, uh, or am I going to buy it for a residency program that where they can use it for, excuse me, for training, uh, and kind of pass it around from resident and resident, uh, to resident and, and, and bill for it. So I, I certainly understand, uh, that decision-making. So if I'm going to really bring this into practice, uh, I'm going to have to write a grant so that we have our own unit. And that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. Got it. Very cool. Well, obviously in, you know, in the 50 minutes that we've been, we've been speaking, we, we heard a lot and, um, and I'm sure people, you know, people listening, obviously, 
have to get through, have, have to get past that once you hear ultrasound, um, you, you kind of make up your mind. But I, I, I know I'm going to do some digging and do some more research into it. Um, wh- where can um, where can I find more information on it? Where can, or, you know, where can I reach out or our listeners can reach out if they have questions for you? Well, certainly, on the topic? Yeah, certainly. If folks have questions for me, uh, they can email me at andrew.ball at carolinashealthcare.org. And I'm, I'm, if I don't respond within 24 hours, I didn't get your email. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good about that. In terms of training, uh, there's a couple of places that I would recommend uh, to get your, your toes, uh, to dip your toe in the water. Uh, there is a nice home study uh, from the Berwyn Institute, which is about... It's about 500 bucks for the entirety of the curriculum. So that's initially what was what was recommended to me. Uh, uh, hands uh, hands on seminars hosts uh, Dr. Randy Moore uh, to do uh, an interesting hybrid program. So you can you, you can either pay to do the entirety of the certification, which is I think just under four thousand dollars. Or you can take little bits and pieces of it. So you can do like just the shoulder uh, lectures. And the lectures are available online. And for each one, what you get is uh, the lecture as to how to do it. You get uh, a lecture uh, or lab, rather, showing how it's it's done. And then there's a third on typical uh, pathologies. So I found that to be... Uh, of all of the training that I've that I've done, probably the most readily clinically uh, applicable. Um, and Dr. Randy Moore has his own website called MSK Masters, where he'll not only uh, do a certification training, he'll come out uh, to do personal uh, training. Uh, if you happen to be a physician listening to this podcast. Uh, the book uh, by uh, John Jacobson seems to be the current uh, best manual. It's a little, um, it's a little more comprehensive than most physical therapists need to know. Certainly, at the first pass. Uh, and finally, Dr. Randy Moore has a nice book on uh, uh, musculoskeletal ultrasound or sonography of the extremities, which is, uh, I think about a hundred bucks, but a really good read. Awesome. Yeah. I think, yeah, this is, it's super interesting. I mean, when I was in my DPT program in 98, <laughs> um, it, you know, they, they were talking about this, like it was coming around in the next two or three years. And I, fe- I felt like it would never be in a limelight. And then when I saw all your posts about being stressed on Facebook about this program and I'm not sure if you're going to pass. And I was like congratulating you before you passed. Um, I thought it was really cool, but I mean, you know, I know I was like asking you about pain science and, and being a next gen's fellowship and how this like being pathoanatomical, you know, is it, is it like, is it hard to be with that? But I, I can see like a clear application for patient education for this. I mean, I'm, I'm all about patient buy-in and there's so many patients who are just kind of hell bent on pathoanatomy. And I'd love to be able to show them that, you know, their right knee x-ray that looks so terrible pretty much looks just like their left knee or their left knee might look right. worse or, or look at what your, 
your your MRI said about your back on your right side, and yeah, sure, you might have something going on your right side, but your left side looks pretty similar. Or, you know, let's try 10 press-ups or some core stabilization or whatever it is that you use to reset the nervous system. And now let's take a look at this. You feel so much better. You can squat. You can move. Right. But this looks exactly the same. You right. Know? So I think that there's clear um, educational uses for this as well as opposed to diagnostic because I'm just all about the patient education. I think that's super interesting. Yeah, I think more than anything, I think that's probably... Uh, how most patients see it. I mean, it's it's amazing to have a patient walk in and say, "Well, I won't be able to do X, Y, or Z because I'm 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 bone on bone." And then you put the ultrasound on there, and yeah, there's a little bit of a narrowed space, but it's not it's not bone on on bone in that neither. Um, however. You know, if I travel a little bit uh, the way up your leg, I'm seeing a nice little trigger point there. It could be referring pain right to that area and think of it like a rubber band. So, you know, you've got a little bit of damage in that joint. And now your rubber band's a little tighter than it needs to be going across that joint. Let's see what we can do to... to to work on the rubber band and, you know, maybe your joint itself will feel better. And uh, I have found that I have shorter conversations with patients trying to convince them of the kinesiology that we all take for granted um, by by applying musculoskeletal ultrasound and, and educating the patient. I probably use it for that purpose way more than I thought I would. Awesome. Yeah. Obviously, obviously a lot more follow-ups. Um, we'll probably have to get you back on to kind of talk about it sure. and go down some other options. Um, I know I'm going to read about it a little bit more and, and kind of get, get more acquainted and uh, try to get the just the treatment ultrasound taste out of my mouth and uh, absorb, absorb more of the science of the, the musculoskeletal ultrasound. You're going to change awesome. Gene's world here, Andrew. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about this, that. I don't he's know gonna, about that, but at least I can replace the, the ultrasound with a more positive. Amazon. He's going to buy one tonight. My, he's going to buy one from China. He's going to start with the Chinese one. I actually, the, the Echo one that I purchased is actually a Chinese uh, uh, unit. The Chai actually stands for uh, for Chinese. Um, but uh, yeah, my next. That's pretty original. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, there's a SANA site. Um, you know, you got to have San in there. It's from China. Yeah, but uh, you know it's a nice lower end uh, unit. But my next one will definitely be American made. Sounds good. Well, I mean, Joe, you're the one with the with the clinic, man. If anybody's going to go digging for one, I would think it would be you, Mister uh, Get Rain Burst 1999 for for manual therapy. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's so bad. That's on sale. <laughs> 1995. If you act right now. If you act right now. Right now, but wait! If you do two units, we're gonna discount the second one. Four. <laughs> nice. Twenty-nine nineteen. Yeah. HMOs, please don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, th- thanks for kind of enlightening us. Um, I know it's 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 gonna stir some questions, and people are gonna want to know more about this. And um, I know we'll, we'll get a lot of follow-up questions. Uh, as soon as people hear trigger points, there's going to be a lot of follow-up questions because okay. that's, that's a debatable topic in itself, but we'll save that for follow? part two. Not really, dude. Uh, yeah. you, can, you can see them with ultrasound. It's not you a question of whether or not they exist. It's a question of 
whether or not every single debatable, hateable social media thing. Yeah. It's it's a perfect setup for episode two. Awesome. (laughs) The, uh, the ultrasound strikes back. Awesome. Nice. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks thanks for joining us. We'll we'll get all the information. We'll put in the podcast notes on updocmedia.com. And, um, so, uh, so our listeners can check out all the, all the stuff you mentioned. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Therapy Insiders Podcast. I hope you found it insightful. I think it was a pretty good discussion. Obviously, still still a lot to know. It's still a fairly expensive piece of tech, and it's all about value. If you find value and the outcomes are there, it justifies the cost. As always, let us know what you think. Tweet at me at Therapy Insiders, at Urson, the OMPT, and Joe at Joe DPT. If email is your thing, Shoot us an email, gene at updocmedia.com, but please don't. Just tweet at me. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again next week.